this week we are looking at Judges, and if you looked at last week, we kind of talked about this, uh, this cycle of apostasy. And if you remember this cycle of apostasy, some call it a cycle of sin. I like apostasy, and apostasy really means just falling away. And what it really is, is it's the same cycle that is, continues to go on. We still see it today. It's like where we, we have salvation in Christ, and there's this abundance, and we're enjoying prosperity, and we're enjoying wealth, and we're enjoying life, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, because it's so great, we think all life is all about seeking out pleasure. And so we start to seek pleasure outside of God, which then leads us into sin. And then because we start falling into sin, all of a sudden it leads to this suffering. And then that suffering will lead us into a place of sorrow. And only when we come to that place of sorrow can we then get back to the salvation. And it's this cycle that just goes over and over and over again. And, and we saw this last week where you had, you know, Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar, and it just, and it just keeps happening. It just keeps happening. I mean, right off of Judges uh, chapter 4, verse 1, I think we've got that, don't we, uh, Nancy, there? Um, it says, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, again they do it. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Herosheth, Hagoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. This happens again. Again, they fall into the same trap. They start sinning, they start doing whatever is right in their own eyes, and all of a sudden it's evil in the sight of God. So because of sin, they go into slavery and they become sorrowful, and this happens for 20 years that... <laughs> Jabin is dealing harshly. And, and it was interesting as I was studying this and I was looking at Jabin, I was like, man, I recognize that name somewhere. And then I started to search it out. And actually, back in Joshua chapter 11, there's a Jabin. And this is back when Joshua was leading Israel and to get to Canaan. And there was this king. But back then, Jabin, that Jabin was the king of Hazor. This king is the king of Canaan. And there's 150 years difference here from Judges 11 to, or from Joshua 11 to Judges 4. So there are, are some out there that they'll sit there and say, oh, this is the same king. It's not. He didn't live that long. They lived to about 120 years. This is 150 years later. Different people just happen to have the same name. That has never happened, right? I mean, yeah. never. <laughs> never, never. No, of course it happened. But here, let me, let me take a step here. I want to I try to give you guys this little tool for studying and understanding the book of Judges, especially. The book of Judges can be a little tricky to understand at times. And if I were to summarize this in a way that we can apply it to our lives here and now, something just to keep in the back of your mind as we go through this study. Canaan, the promised land, it represents the abundant life that Christ gives us. So Canaan is our abundant life. And the enemies is our sin. And so every time you start to read through Judges, to help you understand it, when you see the enemies preventing us from enjoying Canaan, it is the same as our sin preventing us from enjoying 
the abundant life. And as I was thinking about that concept, and I see this, this Jabin again, and I'm like, hold on a second. Jabin, back, I mean, Joshua, they had wiped him out. It says that in Joshua 11. They were utterly destroyed. Everybody in Hazor was completely destroyed. They set the place on fire. Nobody survived. They wiped it out. In other words, they wiped out the enemy. They wiped out the sin and got the promised land. But all of a sudden, this enemy that now looks and sounds and even has the exact same name as the sin that they wiped out, as the enemy that they wiped out, as the king that they wiped out, is back again, rearing his ugly head. And I had this revelation this week in home group where I had to tell on myself. Because I've been on this weight loss journey the last few years, and I keep kind of self-sabotaging it a little bit. I mean, I was well over 300 pounds, and I've dropped a lot of that down. And I got down to about 200, and I think three pounds was kind of the lowest. I think I had just dipped into like 198 at one point, and it lasted for about two days. And then it was back up to about 203, and I just kind of hovered in this five-pound range, which I'm, I'm fine with. But now I'm more like 230-ish, and I've packed on that and had to buy more pants because about every 20 pounds that you gain or lose, you have to buy an entirely new wardrobe. Um, and, I, and I was sitting here, and I, I just it kind of dawned on me that this is self-sabotage, and I'm keeping myself from it. And why am I keeping myself from it? Why do I keep doing this? Because I lost all that weight and I know it's not that hard for me to do. I can do it easily. And then it started to dawn on me that the old man, me before Christ, was a very sinful individual. I've often referred to myself as, as one of those sinners of Zion. The ones that grew up in the way knowing what the right thing was to do and decided willfully to blaze their path to hell straight through everything they knew. That was me. If there was evil to be done, I was going to master it. And part of that, one of the biggest things that I had was pride. It was this arrogance. So back in my pro wrestling days, when I was this sinful, wicked man, oh man, I looked good. I looked good. I got down to about... 205, I think, at one point, but it was, I mean, it was 205, and you could see the six-pack that I still have, but you just can't see it now. It's under a, a layer of blubber. <laughs> but prior to that, you could see it, and I made sure people could see it. I mean, I took off the shirt when I was wrestling, made sure they could see it, would oil myself up, looking all good, put this, this stuff they called like uh, hot stuff or hot ones, something like that, where it's like this baby oil, but it has like a cinnamon in it. So it actually inflames the skin, which makes it a reddish tint and it looks swole and muscular. And, and that's just what I did so I could look good. And of course, I was spending about six hours a day in the gym I was eating, man, what, like 4,000 calories a day, mostly protein, just jacked. I mean, I was, I was looking good. And I wanted to make sure everybody knew it. And there was a moment we were living with mom, and she has mirrors all over her house because mirrors help with the lighting. And, of course, every time I'd walk by a mirror, I'd just... 
all the time, all the time, stand there and stare at myself in the mirror. It became so frustrating for her that mom decided it was her job to try to knock the pride out of me by putting a sign on these mirrors that says, you're not that cute. <laughs> so I would walk by and I'd look at that and be like, yeah, I am. Like, I, I know I'm that cute. That was the old me. The old me that wanted to be in front of everybody and have everybody look at me. And now here after Christ, I find myself standing in front of people where they are looking at me and I don't want them to see me. I want them to see Christ in me. But I know that this flesh can be weak and because this flesh can be weak, the Jabin of pride in my life has now reared his ugly head in a new way. And I have to take out that enemy again. I thought I completely wiped him out and I, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. And there have been other areas in my life where all of a sudden that starts to come up. And this is after Christ where I could jump into pride really quick and I shut it down. But I've never had one that was directly related to my physical appearance. I've never had to test that after Christ. I've never worked on getting my body in good shape and seeing if the new man can actually control those thoughts. And because of that, every time I start to look good and I get the compliments about the physical appearance, I feel that flesh, that sin in the flesh start to rise up and I self-sabotage and I put the 20, 30 pounds back on so people stop complimenting me. Because I don't know what would happen if I just kept pursuing it. You see, we all have these Jabins in our life. An enemy that has led us into sin and suffering that we think we have utterly destroyed and we probably have utterly destroyed it, but all of a sudden, a new Jabin rises back up. And we have to face those. But there's this fear of the unknown. What happens if we can't? I don't want to go back. So maybe I'll just not face this king. Maybe I won't. These are nagging sins and nagging issues that we all have. We all have these. I mean, you guys have got nagging issues, I'm sure. I mean, I could list them off. I could talk about, you know, pride or laziness or anger or cursing or gossiping or criticizing or gluttony or envy or lying. And, and if I start to list those off, I don't think it would actually help you because if you're anything like me, you start to list off those sins. And the first thing you do is you start to identify the other people that aren't you that struggle with those sins. So maybe if I were to give you a different sin, here's, here's an easy way. Jesus' half-brother, James. James says it this way. If you know the good thing to do and you don't do that good thing, that's sin. And so for our lives, I, I would never tell anybody that to not work out is a sin. But for me, if I know it's good for me to work out and I don't do it, then for me, it's a sin. And so for you in your life, what is that thing that you know is good for you to do, but you're not doing it? That's the Jabin. That's the sin that keeps rising up. 
And we need help to get out of this. Because if we don't get help to get out of this, we're going to fall in that same cycle. And then this area of our life becomes an apostate state where we just keep sinning. And then we start suffering and then we cry out to God for salvation and he brings the salvation and things start to go good for a little while and then we slip back into sin. And I see this over and over again with humanity because I read the Bible and I have eyes to see what's out there and mirrors that I can see myself. And so then I look at this in Judges chapter 4 and, and, and I see... This is what happens. Judges 4.3, the children of Israel cry out to the Lord. For Jabin had 900 chariots of iron and 20 years, he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. For me, my Jabin has 900 calories and 20 pounds that he's oppressing me with. And I just keep going straight after those Hertz donuts because they're delicious but they're not as good as my Canaan. They're not as good as the abundant life that God wants me to walk through. So what does God do here? Well, if you roll over to verse 4. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel all that time. Just stop right there. This cycle is occurring again. And God has given them judges. Now this time, there are actually two judges that he gave them that are judging side by side. They are equals. There is Deborah and there is Barak. And they are dealing with things. They are judging, but God has gifted them in different ways. But I I look here and I'm like, it says exactly who Deborah, she's a prophetess. There are only a handful of women throughout the Bible that are called prophetess. Only a handful. A prophet is one who is to speak the words for God, to declare the words for God. And that is what she is doing. But she's not only that, she's also the wife of Lapidoth. So she has this this ministry, this role that she is doing outside of the home, but yet she also has a calling inside the home. Yes, you can do both. But it says what she was also doing, because she wasn't just a prophetess and wasn't just a wife. She was also a judge. She was judging them. And if I were to make this even simpler, as you've seen with Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar, the judges are the leaders. The judges are the deliverers. And so here she is. She is leading Israel. Men and women, she is leading them. And there is one with her that is leading. They are equals. They are peers. Now what happens in the Bible is when you have equals in God's sight, two equals in God's sight, you know how God calls them and classifies them? By one name. And it's with the name of the male. God just uses that for organization purposes. It's the same reason why the husbands and wives are equals. But you can never find in the Bible where it says the husband of Deborah. But it does say the wife of Lapidoth. It's to refer to this family unit in that case. You look then in Hebrews 11, you see the hall of faith. And I love the hall of faith, but it always struck me funny that the writer is talking about, you know, if if time would allow me, I had so many more people I could tell you about. 
But time fails me, so I can't tell you about Barak. But he doesn't say anything about Deborah. But I guarantee the writer could not talk about Barak without concluding Deborah. Just like you can't talk about Deborah without including Barak when it comes to judging. Barak was just the first among the equals. It was the name that God would use to simplify it. But Deborah, as we see, was a prophet, was a wife, and a judge. A prophet, a wife, and a judge. And I I love this when you get over into verse 5, because verse 5 of Judges 4, it says, She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah. How amazing would it be if, you know, like, people recognized a certain place as yours. You're there all the time. This is yours. Okay, wait, this actually happens in churches because we see certain chairs, and it's like, that's Pastor Colleen's chair. That's Marvin's chair. That's Kathy and Dennis. It's oh, I'm making a funny. That is Nancy's sound booth. This is my pulpit. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But, I mean, to think about that, this is a tree. It's a palm tree. And what does she do? She just sits there. She sits under it. And what happens? The children of Israel came to her for judgment. She didn't have to go out and seek them out and run up to them and be like, hey, I've I've got some leading for you. I need to judge you real quick. No. She's just sitting there and people are like, Deborah, I need some advice. I need some help. Can you give me some wisdom? What should I do? The children of Israel, it doesn't say the women of Israel. It wasn't just women that she was instructing. This whole whole philosophy that's out there in modern Christianity that women can only lead women. Sorry, that is not biblical. It is not biblical. Because this is the Bible that we're reading, and she's leading the children of Israel. God is precise and specific enough in his word that if he meant it to be the women of Israel, he would have said the women of Israel. It was men. And it wasn't just these men. It was also even Barak himself that she would go to him, and he would come to her. You see, the people recognized the gift that she had for leadership. They recognized that gift. She didn't have to go proclaim the gift. She didn't have to say, hey, 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 everybody, I'm I'm the leader. Come let me lead you. Which, quite frankly, if you have to tell people that you're a leader, you're not a leader. I've heard John Maxwell share this proverb, and he says, He who thinks he leads but has no followers is only taking a walk. (laughs) it's like I mean you think you're leading people but there's nobody behind you that's just a walk but Deborah was a leader and people were following her and they were going to her for advice see here's the thing that the reason they were going to her is because they had a Jabin that they were facing in their lives and as a people there was a Jabin that was rising up against them and they needed help they needed deliverance from the Jabin they needed somebody to lead them and God had gifted her God had anointed her to be the leader for such a time as that God had equipped her And here's the thing, that God has equipped and gifted each and every one of you. He gives you gifts so he can pour out his grace. God will use you. 
Because where sin abounds, according to Romans 5.20, grace abounds much more. And so when those Jabins want to call up and they want to rise up against us, we need more of God's grace. And for us to have more of God's grace, more of God's gifts need to be in operation. You need to start operating in your gifts because your gifts are not just for your benefit, they're for the benefit of all. And as Deborah has seen here, these gifts that she had, the gift of leadership that she had, wasn't just for herself. It was for others. As we start to go on and, and we look at this, and I just want to jump down in here to verse 6 through 9 real quick. It says, Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of uh, Abinom, of Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitudes at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. She's asking him, she's like, didn't God already say this? See, that's the great thing about when our gifts are in operation and we're actually using our gifts. For the benefit of others, we say things in a simple manner. We do things in a simple manner that speak to the others in a profound way. Because what they see is, and what they hear is the Holy Spirit speaking and moving through us. It's as the Spirit gives the gifts. As the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts, it's for the purpose of spreading God's grace. These gifts you have, and I know that, that so many of us have been through this, and, and it's, a, it's a case where we go through this life as Christians, and, and we hear about spiritual gifts, and we're often thinking, well, what's my gift? What, what is my gift? Here's the thing. If I were to give you three things to identify your gift, you need to realize, one, that God called you to this. God gave it to you, but it's other people that will recognize it. You won't even recognize that gift first, but others will recognize it in you. I remember sitting in church, looking at the minister, and him pointing back at me, and he's like, hey, you preacher man, come up here. He's staring right at me, and I'm like, well, shoot, there's nobody behind me. Apparently he's talking to me, and so I have to get up there. And then I get Pastor Colleen being, you know, God's called you to be a pastor. And I was like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. I don't like people that much. I don't want to have to deal with their problems. I was okay being a preacher, man. I didn't want to be a pastor. You know what a pastor has to do is a pastor has to shepherd. A pastor has to then administer wise counsel. See, here's the thing about a preacher. Preaching is really easy. Preaching. I start with a passage and then I declare to the people about the problems. But pastoring and shepherding and counseling is, is backwards. You have to start with people and their problems and then try to fill in the passage. Because it's like I can preach and I can just say, hey, people, here's the problem. And here's the solution to the problem. See you next week. And then I leave. But as a pastor, as a shepherd, as one who provides counsel, all of a sudden, people come up and they're like, hey, hey, pastor, I got a problem. <laughs> okay, what's your problem? 
It, it's my wife. She wants me to man up, and I don't know what that means. Okay. Well, uh, I've got some idea. No, 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 it's, it's not just that. It's my boss is an idiot. Oh, okay, well, we can address it. No, 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 hold on. And, and my mom is an alcoholic, and, and she's just off the rails. Oh, okay, all right. And, and then I was just diagnosed with cancer. Oh, okay, and have you seen what's going on in this nation? It's just causing me so much anxiety. And as a pastor, you're like, help somebody. There's, and it just, can I get an amen out of that one? That's kind of how it's like, right? And see, an amen. So this is what happens. And preaching and pastoring, different. And so when Pastor Colleen says, hey, God's called you to be a pastor, I'm like, oh, can I give that gift back? Uh, I want, can I do an exchange? Is there like a gift exchange time, you know, after the holidays? I can just say, hey, who wants this one? Um, I, think, I think God might have got it wrong. No, it, it doesn't happen that way. But see, other people started to recognize it. And I was having a problem because I'm seeing her and it's like, she's a pastor. But what I do looks nothing like what she does, at least from the way it comes out. But on the spiritual surface, underneath that of ministry gifts, shepherding people, we're operating in the same thing. It's just the, the methods and the mannerisms that we do that are a little bit different. I mean, me, if I'm going to try to like hit somebody with the truth of God's word, you know, for that problem, I just want to come right up and just punch him in the face with it. And it's like, here's the word. That's your solution. Pastor Colleen, on the other hand, she's like, so over here. And then she just sucker punches you. You don't even see it coming. And it's like, where'd that come from? But that, that's not me. That's not my style. And so I thought, surely these gifts are wrong. Surely I'm not called to be a pastor. But other people kept recognizing it. Even when I tried to reject it, they recognized it. Your gifts are going to be something that other people will recognize. And one of the easiest ways for you to start to identify this is listen through like the list of spiritual gifts. And as you, you hear those spiritual gifts, you understand that if I were to attempt a human understanding of, of the gifts and categorize them, I would say that you've got some of them that are direct ministry gifts, and, and we're talking like Ephesians 4 for the direct ministry gifts. And then some of them are, I don't know, they're, they're more of like motivational gifts. And, and then you've got those like, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, that these would be like the manifestation gifts, when the Holy Spirit is just like, boom, showing up. And God has poured out all of these gifts across the body of Christ. And some of us will operate in only one of them, and some of us will operate in many of them, but none of us will operate in all of them because the only one that operated in all of them was the perfect one, Jesus Christ. He did it all. But we can even look in the Old Testament and see when he sent the Holy Spirit to come upon people, to help them, to lead them for his people, to be his minister for them. They would operate in different ways. They would operate in different ways. And Deborah, she had one of those motivational gifts, that gift of, of leadership, that she's able to go up to Barack and be like, hey, Barack, didn't God talk to you about this? Don't you remember when he said he was going to deliver the enemies into your hand? 
She's motivating him. But she's leading him. She's leading him. And, and what happens here in verse 8? Um, Barak answers. Verse 8 of Judges chapter 4. He says to her, If you'll go with me, then I will go. But if you're not going with me, I'm not going. So verse 9, she says, Okay, I'll go. And she goes. She's there to lead him. And yet he's the judge that is named first among the equals. But she's still leading him. I mean, even in this, this church, I've got this weird title that we as humans try to put on things called lead pastor. Just because when it came to senior pastor and I'm looking at human age, I'm thinking, I'm not quite sure I should be considered senior. Lead sounds a little bit more right. But we've got Pastor Colleen. And yet she leads me a whole lot. But in this church, she wouldn't be named first among the equals of pastors. I don't see her as lesser. I don't see me as greater because God doesn't either. He sees us as equals. He also just sees unique differences in those giftings that we have. Because while we're both called to the ministry gift of pastoring, we have different motivational gifts. I mentioned these gifts, and I want to take it just a moment here to kind of go through some of them, because I think this is going to help with a little clarification. And I'm just going to rapid fire through these, so I'm going to pull them up on the screen. Uh, the first part of these gifts are going to be found, and these are some of the motivational ones. They're going to be found in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. You can follow along. You can take notes if you want. Uh, Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy... Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Then you start to get into some of the manifestation gifts, and you see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Again, your gifts are not just for yourself, it's for everyone. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then down in verse 28 through 30, it says, God appointed these in the church, first the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, the gifts of healings, help, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongue? Do all interpret? And of course, these are rhetorical questions that Paul is saying. He's like, of course not. We don't all do all of these things, but they are all there for the benefit of the church. And then you see over in Ephesians 4, verse 11, he himself, this is God, gave some to be apostles, which by the way, this is also where I still believe that I am God's gift to men. That's right. I believe I am God's gift to men. The old man thought that I was God's gift to men, but it thought that I was just amazing. Look at me, stand in the mirror and flex. 
The new me thinks I'm God's gift to men only because it says that he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And so I realized that God gave me as this gifting inside me to be a gift for the body of Christ. Because you look at this in verse 12, it is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Which, by the way, are there still all of these gifts in operation? Yes. You know how I know it? Because we have not perfected it yet. We're not perfect men yet. And if we haven't completely been united, well, then we still need all of these gifts. Verse 14, it's for this that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speak the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. That last part there is why God has given us these gifts. It is to cause growth in the body for edifying or building us up in love. You see, I find myself facing that Jabin again. And the thing that holds me back is I don't know what's going to happen. If I actually bring my flesh under submission, I start getting myself in a good physical shape and people start giving me those compliments. Is that green-eyed monster going to start rearing its ugly head? Am I going to fall and slip back into the pride that led me and snared me so bad? I don't know because I've not faced it yet. And there's this fear of the unknown that I recognize and I know, but the only way for that fear to be removed is for perfect love to come in. And for me to have that perfect love, it's not just from God, it's from you. Because God will use you to build me up in love. And for me to be able to face my Jabin, I need the body of Christ, each joint doing its part providing its share because one of you is going to have that word one of you is going to be able to say that thing that you don't even realize how powerful it is but all of a sudden it clicks and it is profound in my mind and it is a sucker punch that i didn't see coming and it snaps me out of that fear the perfect love starts building up and all of a sudden huh, jabin's got nothing on me but see you've all got your jabins that you're facing as well and I may not be the one to be able to encourage you through that, to edify you in that. That one that can edify you, the one that can build you up in love might just be sitting right next to you. The one that you're going to be edifying might not even be in this church. They may be at work. They may be at the grocery store. They may be on the other end of that telemarketing call that you actually answered. But if you will do your part, and if you will start operating in that gift, they will recognize it. You see, as we, we hear these different gifts, we are looking and it's like, what do I see that is in me? No, no, wrong way of looking at it. God gifted you because God called you, but other people recognize it. 
So you should be looking at that list of gifts and say, what is it that other people see in me? Because that's what God placed in me. And all of a sudden we need to press in on that because we don't get to do a gift exchange. We don't get to turn it back in. Our option is to either use it or lose it. You see, Barak had a gift of leading as well. But if you heard what Barak had said, Barak's like, <laughs> yeah, God called me. Yeah, God told me that, but I'm only going to go if you go with me, Deborah. Verse 9, she says, I'll surely go with you, but nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. You see, he wasn't using that gift. And he even had the opportunity right there. She's like, didn't God tell you to do this? He's like, I'll only go if you go with me. Okay, but you're not going to get the credit for this and you're not going to get the glory for this because now you are no longer the leader. You have become a follower. You said you'll only go if I go. Now you're following me. So guess who's going to get the credit for this win? And the crazy part about this, Deborah gets credit for the battle that she didn't even go into. The only judge that didn't go into battle and yet she gets the credit for it. Because Barak still goes into that battle. And as we see down there in verse 15 and 16, it says, The Lord routed Sisera and all of its chariots and all of its armies with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from the chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pushed the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Haguyam. And the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword and not a man was left. <laughs> it's like, He's the one that's actually in the battle. But Deborah gets the credit. See, for us to ultimately be able to overcome these Jabins, we have to do what God has called us to do. You know, that same passage of, of Romans where it starts to lead, uh, to lay out these spiritual gifts. It's the same passage that we find in Romans 12 where it starts off and it says, we shouldn't be conformed to the world in its ways but we need to be transformed. We need to renew our mind. But I love how Romans 12 actually ends because Romans 12, 21 actually gives us the way that we can actually overcome our Jabins. It says we don't overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is good? Hold on. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, it's sin. So if not doing good is sin, what is doing good? It's overcoming evil, that's what that is. And doing good is allowing God's grace to operate in our life. It's allowing God's grace to overcome our jabins. It's allowing us to get out of that nagging sin that just keeps tripping us up. See, this is what we need in our lives. The simple thing of just do good. What has God told me to do? Do it. If Barak had just done what God had already told him to do, 
Deborah wouldn't have to ask him about it. Deborah wouldn't have to lead him into it. And then Deborah wouldn't have got credit for it. That wasn't for Deborah. But Deborah did what she was supposed to do. She led. She judged. Even the fellow judge. Even the first among equals. Even Barak. She said, here it is. You know what God said. It went like this. And then she repeats it. See, oftentimes, in any of these giftings, that's how we're able to help people. It's by us doing good and doing what God has called us to do. We're able then to live out these passages that help people with their problems. And it's as simple as, well, this is what I did. I faced something similar, but I did this. I understand what you're going through. Have you thought about this? We have this ability to use these gifts so God can use his grace. And in this world where there is a whole lot of sin because this cycle of apostasy keeps going over and over and over again, we need more grace. We need more grace. And can you imagine what would happen if you started using the gifts that God has given you and the people around you started seeing God's grace operate in their lives like they've never seen it before? Can you imagine what that could do for this world? Could you imagine a world that we live in that is no longer tearing one another down, but all of a sudden we're building one another up in love? Can you imagine what that would do for this world? Can you imagine what that would do for God's kingdom? If you can't imagine that, try to think about the impact that somebody sharing their gifting with you and love has made on your life and how much that builds you up. How amazing that feels to know that God would come down from heaven through a human being to minister to you. When you think about that and how amazing that feels, how it feels to step into that abundant life, start to imagine that in everybody you know. Because... When we're walking in Canaan, when we're walking in that abundant life, when the Jabins have all been slayed and wiped out, oh, it's good. It's great. And we do exactly like Israel did, and we reign, and we rule, and we enjoy abundance and peace. See, this book of Judges is a powerful lesson for all of us to look at to examine, but to see ourselves in it. To see how does this apply in my life. This week, that's what I want you to do, is I want you to be looking at those spiritual gifts and just thinking and and really just praying, God, bring back to my remembrance those people who have called out those gifts in me. The people that just say I have a gift for doing this or they really appreciate how I always am such an encouragement because of that. 
And let me recognize that is the gift that you gave me. And God, help me to use it more. Let's pray.